So we are in between. We finish the book of Revelation. Would you go to Romans with me? What I'd like to do tonight is just take a few minutes to look at the passage of Scripture that we had, we had discussed on Sunday. And I didn't have a lot of time for the last section. So I thought we would just take some time and go through verses 8 through 15 a little bit more carefully tonight than we were able to on Sunday. So we are in Romans chapter 1, and I want to focus in on verses 8 through 15 as the Lord allows us tonight. So there's no new notes, but if you happen to have your notes from Sunday with you, you can reference those. We'll be on the last part of it. So the theme of the the study in Romans has been the gospel, the good news, and we are two weeks into it, and we're seeing that the the overall theme of the book of Romans is in verses 16 and 17. So look with me again at Romans 1, 16 and 17. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. So looking back now at verse number one. So that's the theme of the book, I I believe, the power of the gospel and understanding how God reveals himself through the gospel. But if you look back at verse number one, and let's just kind of lay out the theme that we talked about. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. Now, if you notice, we really emphasize this idea of calling as we look through this. So we saw in verse number one, Paul um, called to be an apostle, and this idea of him being separated unto the gospel, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we have received grace, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations, for his name, among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ. So if you remember, we discussed a lot the idea that Paul was called, he answered the gospel call, but in the same way, believers, the Roman believers were called, and some of them are called out of a religious background, and some of them were called out of a very Roman background, but they heard the call of God, and, and they answered that call. And then he said in verse number, as he continued in verse number six, among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ, to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. So there it is again. He tells them grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you remember, what we talked about was, first of all, as I already mentioned, the gospel calling, that God has, he, he calls us into salvation with the call of the gospel, but he also calls us into discipleship, into a life of following him. But not only are we gospel called, but we are gospel equipped. And we talked about how Paul was uniquely prepared by God to be used. His background, his, when, it, when it says in verse number one, Paul is servant of Jesus Christ, there's so much that we could talk about with how Paul was such a unique person. 
And so how he, where he'd been born and how he'd been educated and his areas of expertise and that Paul's calling was unique among all the apostles and God had prepared him for service. So we asked the question, how are you and I in our calling and your status in life and your position in life, both your past and your present, how does God want to use your experiences, the unique, the unique um, path that he's brought you through, how does God want to use that your gifting to advance the gospel? That was the question. But all of that really doesn't matter unless we have a heart and a life that's really dedicated to the gospel. And that was really the last aspect that we didn't have a lot of time to unpack. But if you notice back in verse number one, I think this is an interesting statement. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. What do you think that means, if we could discuss it for just a minute? Just how does that statement speak to you where Paul says he is separated unto the gospel of God? Separated unto the gospel of God. What are some, what are some thoughts on that? He's what? So he's looking to the gospel. He's looking to the, instead of to the world. I think that's a good that's a good insight from this. What else here is the sense of Paul's dedication, his calling? What did that statement separated unto the gospel? Yeah. So what his desires for his life had been, he's been separated from that. Yeah, I think, yeah, sure. Somebody else, thoughts on this idea that Paul says he is separated unto the gospel? A measuring stick for all of life. When would he use that measuring stick? Because I think that's a pretty, that's an interesting, that's a good statement there. Like, it's his measuring stick for life. Yeah, what were you going to say? Yeah. So that's a good point. Everything has changed, but there's a special sense in which he says he's separated to the gospel, though. Like, because, like, Everything changes for every believer, but not every believer would say that of their life, separated. So first to Mike again, then to Mrs. Bailey. Right. So there's his apostleship. There's a separate, specific calling there. I think that's, that's part of it. Yes, Mrs. Bailey, what were you going to say? Mm-hmm. His purpose, his God consciousness as he does that. Yeah. Yeah, so he so it's a it's a <clears throat> so but did he did Paul have to do other things at time other than preach? 
He sure did. But I think, but his point is, I think here, the sense that his life is about one thing. Like, regardless, if you were to say, you know, Paul, who are you? It's like his life, he, his purpose, his reason for existence, for whatever he did, whether he was with um, uh, Aquila and Priscilla. Remember, he spent time with Aquila and Priscilla making tents. He would do all that. But he made tents for what? For the gospel's sake, right? Everything he did. Like, and like Amy said, his measuring stick. I think, so I was kind of like pushing back on your, question, your answer there. Like, but, but I like that idea of a measuring stick, but you would apply that different parts of your life, right? <clears throat> so as he looked at the, in fact, there's this great statement, and I should have looked it up, but I just, um, I just thought of it right now. Let me try to find this reference the, with that idea of a me- measuring stick. He said the, the statement, the furtherance of the gospel. I feel like it might be in Philippians. Yes. Like if you look over really quick, there's a similar statement. Look over at Philippians chapter 1. Think about that measuring stick concept. Philippians 1 and down in verse number 12. But I would ye should understand, brethren that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace. Well, you put those two verses together, when he says the things that happened to me have fallen out for the gospel, what things is he talking about? What kind of things is he talking about in those two verses? Yep. Imprisonment, yeah. He's talking about imprisonment. He's even measuring his imprisonment. This is the point back in Romans that he says, I'm separated to the gospel. So whether he's abounding, whether he's, he's measuring all of his life, he's like, even in prison, he's saying, this is part of my gospel purpose. God has led me here because he has separated me into the gospel. Now, I think we understand, and I'm not, I'm not trying to make a perfect equivalent between Paul's calling and our calling right? Like, I understand that Paul's calling was unique. I mean, he's an apostle, right? He's, he's called to travel and do that. But do you, think it's, do you think it's too much of a stretch? You tell me, do you think it's too much of a stretch to say that really, in one sense, all of us should say that our lives are separated unto the gospel? I, I, don't, th- I don't think that's a stretch to say that it might not look the same as Paul. Right. Right. Yeah, and what? But I, and so what I'm asking though is that does it just apply to the? Does this just apply the separate being separated under the gospel? Does it just apply to the quote unquote you know professional preachers of the gospel? I don't think it does. I think this like we should all look at this and and I'm, and I'm not saying anybody's saying that. I'm just putting that out there as a challenge that all of us should look at this and say. Well, am I, could I say in my life that I am really separated unto the gospel of Christ? You know what I mean? Yeah. We're in different capacities. In, 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 
Right. 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 Okay, I guess that's the discussion, right? That's a good point. Because I would say, for all of us, it is our primary thing. But in through different channels. Like, for instance, Mike was sharing with me tonight about a friend of his that he got to witness to. The chances of that friend just walking into a church one day on her own are probably pretty slim. Would you agree with that? You say there's zero. I'm giving a little bit more hope to that, but he says there's zero. The chances of, you know, the chances of somebody just going up to her randomly and witnessing to her, giving her a tract, are probably pretty slim. How many of you have ever in your life had somebody, a stranger, come up to you and share the gospel with you? A stranger. So, not half of us. I've never had anybody, like, think I was a lost person and witness to me. You did it at a cross-country meet? Somebody did? Yeah. Well, that's awesome. But my point is, so, my, so, so that's, that's great. But my point is, the chances of your friend have, there was a preacher that was needed, and you're, while you're in college, you are, you are to be separated unto the gospel of God, right? Like, that's the point that we're saying, like, that are unique, and I think if we, some people will refer to that as thinking missionally, right? That we are all on mission. That through our vocations, through our occupations, through our situations and our relations, we are to be separated unto the gospel. And that's a challenge for us, right? And in fact, if you study the book of Acts, do you know how the, the, the church was at Jerusalem? The church at Jerusalem was happy and content there, and they didn't go into all the world to preach the gospel until what happened? Do you know what had to happen? You can read about it in like Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 9. What, what happened? To get, what was that? Yeah, persecution came. And so persecution came, and all the Christians left Jerusalem. And it says they went everywhere preaching the gospel. They went everywhere preaching the gospel. But if you study the book of Acts, do you know who, what it specifically says Everybody left Jerusalem except for who? Take a guess. If you don't know it, everybody, when the persecution came, all the Christians were scattered and left Jerusalem except for who? The apostles. Except for the apostles. Now, it's not, I'm not saying that they were disobedient or whatever. I'm just, my point is this. Who were the first preachers of the gospel? Who were the first preaching missionaries of the gospel? Was it the professionals? No. Apparently not. It was it was the it was the believers in the church. They were the ones that went everywhere preaching the gospel, and so we need to reclaim that heart that says we are we are separated unto the gospel of God. That that is our that is one of our primary purposes. And if a church loses that, right, then we turn inwardly focused. We become inwardly focused. And we can all sit here and, like I said, I gave that illustration on Sunday, we can like talk about the news. 
We can, you know, dissect the news, of the, the good news I'm talking about. We can be very proficient at it. We can have, you know, small group discussions about the news. But that's not the purpose of the news. The news is supposed to be what? It's supposed to be published. It's supposed to be given out. So all of our learning, and I feel like for, for the last few years, we've, had a, a, you know, we've really emphasized a lot of grow, growing and discipleship and Bible study, but it doesn't do us any good to really grasp the news if we don't dedicate ourselves to spreading the news, to getting it out there. So, Paul says he's separated into the gospel. Now notice, I want you to, to see some of, the, some of the descriptions of his dedication now in verses 8 through 15. Let's talk through this. Verse 8, he says, first, now you, I want you to make one note about something as well here, and that is this, that the gospel is for believers. The gospel is for believers and unbelievers. The gospel message is not, it's what we need to grow in the faith, and it's what the, the, the lost need to come into the faith. So when Paul speaks about this, he's coming to give the gospel both to the believers in Rome and also the, to help evangelize in Rome. But he says this in verse 8, he says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. You talk about Paul's dedication. One of the first things I notice here about his heart is that he's got just a grateful heart. And what is he, how would you describe what Paul is grateful for here? And, and I know you could just you know, read it back to me, but, I, but think about it a little bit. And, and at, when he makes this statement in verse number eight, really what is it that he's, what, that he's giving thanks for? Yes? So he's giving thanks for the testimony. That the, yeah, he's thankful that this church is witnessing as being a testimony. Yep. Um, I, I think that's part of it in there. Yeah, absolutely. There's a, he's going to have that grateful heart. What else? Yeah. So it's the, he's thankful that, I think he's thankful that there's for the fellowship that they have in advancing the gospel. I would imagine that Paul is glad that he's not the only one out there preaching, that, he's not, that it's not all up to him, because here he is with his life separated unto the gospel, and he's like, and you know what? I'm so thankful that, that people everywhere know about what God is doing in your life. There's a gratefulness. I think we can experience that the same. How can we experience that or, be rem, or rem, remind ourselves of, of that? Even in in our context, that's my next one. Don't get ahead of me. Yeah, you can't get ahead of me like that. Come on. <laughs> um, there's this gratefulness. How can we? How can we remind ourselves to be that way? Yep. Yeah, that God is still doing something in the world today. And I think we've got to be careful to look around sometimes and be thankful for what God has done even in our midst, right? To see people that, um, and we don't see, we don't necessarily see 
you know, we're not baptizing five and ten people every month or seeing this huge ingathering, but we're seeing God work in people's lives. Little by little, one at a time, sometimes it takes months, sometimes it takes a year, but just to look around and realize, hey, God is at work among us, and God, God will continue to be at work among us. To look at the, our, the, the testimony of our missionaries that we read about, you know, and to see that, wow, God is working there. He's drawing people. And to never forget that <coughs> it's not necessarily about a, a number of people. It's about the fact that we see evidence of the hand of God in people's lives. And giving him praise and thanks for that is so important. It's, it's so important to keep that gospel gratefulness, to remind ourselves of what God is doing. Because the devil will convince you that nothing is happening. The devil will convince you that, there's, that, 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 that it's all over, that revival and things like that are all in the past. And today it's just going to get darker and darker and darker. But God is still at work. And God is still drawing people. So I see this gospel gratefulness. And then like Frank said, now he's praying. He's praying. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son. Back to the gospel again. That without ceasing, I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request, making request that if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. He's praying. He's praying about his mission. He's, there's, a sense of, there's a sense of purpose to what God has called him. Now here specifically, He's praying that he will be able to do what? What's he praying to do? He wants to go see them. Well, and why? He doesn't say entirely here, but we would know why. What is is he going to do when he gets there? He's going to preach to them. He's going to encourage them. He's going to strengthen their faith. He's going to come and he's going to give the gospel to them. He's He's going to do a work in them. So he's, their faith is spread abroad. They're praying for each other. There's this sense of coming together and praying for God to work in them, praying for God to use them. And whereas we can do that same thing, but not only gratefulness and prayer, but I want you to see something else here. There's planning. There's planning that goes on. So pick it up in verse number um, verse. Number 10, he's, he's saying, making request, if by any means, now at length, I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. He's not just praying, but he's making plans, right? He's not just passive in his, in his ministry. He's not just sitting back saying, all right, well, you know, hopefully someday, hopefully someday I'll get there. You read about the Apostle Paul, and he's always working on, God, how can I get on to the next place? How can I do this? How can I have this sense of intentional planning for the sake of the ministry? What can we learn from that? Or what can we apply to our lives from that? Any thoughts on that? This idea of he's he's got a a plan for how God's going to use him. Now, of of course, Paul surrenders his plans to God, right? Like we know in the book of Acts, verse chapter 16, he was planning on going into Asia, and God said, nope, you're going into Macedonia. 
So it's not that he was just, I'm going to make a way, I'm going to do it with no sensitivity to the Lord. But at the same time, Paul's a planner. He's a strat, uh, strategizer? Strategist. You were ready to, you saw I wasn't going to get it. I was kind of struggling. He's a strategist. Are you a gospel strategist? Am I? Yes, sir. Oh, yeah. So like on a trip, he's got, a, he's got that book with him. So if he has an opportunity to speak to somebody, or he, he knows, it's a plan. It's a little, pull that book out, read it. Maybe it sparks a conversation. Maybe you give it to somebody else. Yeah, that's a, that's a great example of somebody that's planning on being used. I, 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 same thing, like having gospel resources around. That's why I, you know, we invested in getting all those resources in the, uh, in the welcome room. There's all kinds of great books in there. We will put tracks out as well, but just for us to be prepared when people ask questions or when we can talk with people and say, you know what, I am going to be intentional about the gospel. Yeah? Sure. Absolutely. What else? In what ways can we be intentional? Yes. Right? Yeah. Good, yeah. So these are good examples of that. Even even as a church just being organized for the gospel. You know what I mean? Like, I try to make sure, like one of the easiest things... One of the easiest things we can do is just invite someone to come to a church service. You know, we, we try to make sure our Sunday church services are uplifting, that they're going to get a good presentation of the gospel so that anybody at any stage in their life, in their spiritual journey, can come in, can hear the gospel. Or a class like Christianity Explored. It's a plan. Like, li- listen, we may not have a... I'm okay if, if we have one new person, if we have no new people, God's going to do what God's going to do. But it's, it's part of us being strategic about it. You know what I mean? It's saying, you know, how can we as a church now come together to not just be about us, but how can we be a gospel station? How can we, how can we be, be, plan on it? So just think about that in your personal life. You know, how, how you, how I can be better at, like Paul, he's got a plan for how he wants to, to be used by God. And then, of course, there's the sense of longing here as well. Verse 11. Just see how dedicated he is to be, as he's separated to the gospel. He says in verse 11, For I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift, to the end that ye may be established, or for the purpose of you being established in the faith. Isn't that, isn't that something... He's longing not to receive, he's longing to give. This is a, a, a big problem in church culture today, is that people forget that the, one of the purposes of the assembly is not primarily to receive, but to give, right? And Paul says, I want to come, I want to be with you. The longing of my heart is that God would use me to do something in your life. Any thoughts on that before I move on?
the sense of longing that he has, just wanting to be used by God. Yep. So spiritual gift, I, I mean, some people could interpret that as some supernatural kind of thing where Paul is going to, because he's an apostle, going to give them some special gifting. I don't think that's it, though. I think he's using this in the more general sense that he's going to minister to them spiritually and that they are going, uh, again, it says here, to the end that ye may be established. So that so, what... You know, each person needs something different to strengthen their faith. I think that's the sense in which he's saying that. Yeah, Frank. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That is true. And God has called each of us to do that in a different capacity, right? It's the duty that we have one to another to come. It would be imagine coming to our, our gatherings with the mindset. I mean, before you walk in the door saying, Oh, I just really hope, I really hope that I can be used as a spiritual gift to someone so that they will leave more established in their faith. Right? That's a different approach to... to now, it's okay to come in and say, boy, I hope I receive something today. I need something today. But also, on the other hand, to say, to come in and say, boy, I hope I can impart something to someone. I hope I can. In fact, that's spoken about elsewhere if you go to Hebrews... You look quickly over at the book of Hebrews. I think what I'm looking for is I thought it was in chapter 10. Give me one second. Because again, this one I just was thinking of right now. Uh, da -da. It is 10. I just look at it and don't see it. Chapter 10. Look at Hebrews 10 and verse number 20. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> 23. <coughs> Let us, Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. Now look at verse 24. See how this is similar to Paul, what he wanted to do as an apostle. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. This great reminder to not stop going to church is basically what he's saying here. But he's not, he doesn't say, don't stop, don't stop gathering together so that you can hear you know, what the pastor has to say. Although, of course, that's going to be part of it. But that's not the motivation here. What's the motivation? Don't stop gathering together because your purpose in your gathering is to do what? 
Yeah, it's, it's to encourage one another, and it's to, specifically it says here, to provoke one another to love and good works. So through our interactions, you should be, you should be influencing me in such a way that I would want to love the Lord and love others more, and that I would want to do more for the kingdom. And so there's this, this mutual, so Paul, so back to, back to Romans, that's Paul's longing. That's why he wants to be with the saints. It's not just to receive, but it's to give. So he has a dedicated heart. He's, he's separated to the gospel. He's, he's completely dedicated. Verse 12. Now this is the two sides, giving and receiving. So verse 11, he says, I, I'm longing to be with you because I want to give you a spiritual gift. But then... His selfish motivation in a godly sense is in verse 12. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Can you think in Paul's context why he was so desperate, so desperate for the fellowship of these saints? Well, think of what he was going through. Every place he went, what did he face? Opposition unbelievers. I mean, Paul said that he was going where he didn't want to build on anyone else's foundation. So he was going as a, as the first missionary, he's going where there are no Christians. Everywhere he goes, he's starting all over again and there's nobody there. And so he goes out as the missionary. And when he comes back, he's just, I just sent, he's just thrilled to be among believers. He's just thrilled to be among believers. And that is really a I, I think in a good way, a picture of what we have in the local church. We are called to go out as local missionaries, to get into the fields, to get out there and, and to be the salt and the light, to be dedicated, separated to the gospel. But as we do that, we start to get beat down, don't we? We start to get beat down a little bit. And so then we come back to the refuge. We come back to the family. We come back, we get recharged, we get energized, but not... Not so that we can stay, but so that we can then go back out. We go back out, we come back. We go out, we come back. But the problem is sometimes, listen, if our Christianity becomes, if our Christianity becomes, we gather in and we go to our homes and do whatever. Right? If we're, if we're missing that other component, it just becomes all about us. We get inward focused, inward focused. And that's not being separated to the gospel. The gospel is meant to be published. So, um, he's, he says, I want to be, I'm longing to be with you all. Now, verse 13, now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was let hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you, even as among other Gentiles. He's like, I just want to accomplish something spiritually with you all. I want to have some fruit. And he's never been to Rome, apparently. They became believers not through Paul's ministry. But he wants to get there and do gospel work in Rome also. Now, his purpose is in verses 14 and 15. Notice this. First of all, he's aware of his responsibility, and secondly, he's ready to accomplish the mission. Verse 14, I am debtor, both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise 
and to the unwise. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. He viewed his sense of responsibility, that he had a gospel obligation. He had a gospel debt. Now, he didn't owe anything to... It's interesting to think of this debt. I think there's a wrong way to think of this gospel debt. And, and what, what could that be? How could we, let me ask you for the wrong answer. It's always easier to give a wrong answer, right? And what would be a wrong way of thinking of this, this idea of having a gospel debt? Right. This sense that, oh my goodness, Jesus died for me. He did everything. So I owe this great debt now. I've got to give the gospel out. What's the problem with that thinking? Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's law. It's not, it's not the gospel, right? It's just not the gospel. There is no debt with the gospel because Jesus paid the debt. So our, our, the debt of the gospel is not the idea that we have to repay God for saving us. That's not his point here. What else would be a, a wrong way of thinking it, of it? First, the wrong thing would be thinking, well, I owe God. Because if you owe God, then that's not the gospel. The gospel is free. But he doesn't really owe the Greeks and barbarians either, does he? Why not? Well, because they're sinners too. Do they deserve the gospel? Do they deserve it? No. So in what way, somebody had hands up or, yep. Right. Right, and so that can't be what he means by this debt that he owes. So what do you think the debt is? Any thoughts? I'll give you my idea on it. I think the point is here is Paul was called specifically to be the what? The apostle to the Gentiles. That is his assignment. He has been given this. I don't think it has anything to do with his salvation. He's been given a specific assignment by God to bring the gospel where? To the Gentiles. So what he says is, I have this debt of obligation to them. God said that they need to be reached. And who did he call to reach them? He called Paul. So I would see his debt not in, this, not in relation to his salvation, but in relation to his calling, in relation to his responsibility. It's a charge that he'd been given by God. And so it's a debt of obedience. Will you obey the calling that God has given you? Now, you and I have not been called to the, to the Gentiles per se the same way that Paul did, but we have been called to, to proclaim the gospel where we are. So in that sense of our calling, we owe a debt to the, ones, to the ones that we come into contact with, to the ones who are, that, that we have relationships with, because God has called us to reach them. He said he wants his gospel proclaimed to all people. And in that sense, that is our gospel debt. That is our gospel obligation to reach those that others can't reach that we can through our calling. And Paul's aware of the responsibility, and he's ready. Now, I don't, I think one of the great hindrances to gospel evangelism can be guilt trips. The point is this, 
It's a joyous assignment. It's a wonderful opportunity to give the good news to people. It's God that's going to do the work. So sometimes you can put all this pressure on yourself and say, all right, I've got to do this, I've got to do that. Pray for the opportunities. Look for them. In fact, when Mike was sharing with me before, he's like, he's like, yeah, I've been praying for God to give me an opportunity. And I looked back and I realized I had two perfect opportunities to witness and I missed them. But it wasn't because of a sense of shame or whatever. It's like, all right, so God, show me when I have the chance to speak, when I don't have the opportunity to speak. And as we do that, then our lives become about the, about the gospel. Now, I don't stand before you as someone who'd say, you know what, look to me, I'm the perfect example of this. I'm like you. Sometimes I'm bold and sometimes I'm really tempted. Sometimes I'm, sometimes I'm full of zeal and sometimes I'm kind of selfish. So when we, we talk about this, it's, we all need this. We just need this reminder that that's why we're here. That's what we're, we're to do. If I just become an expert teacher to other believers and you become expert Bible students, well, what are we accomplishing unless we take that and we publish the news? We get the news out there. So that's, that's my heart and that's the, the theme of this section of the book of Romans. So that concludes the Bible study this evening. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, I thank you that we've had this time to look at your word. Lord, help us to be soul conscious. Help us to be Lord, grateful for what you're doing, but hungry to see you do more. I pray that we would be a gospel people. Bless our prayer time now. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.